Okay, well, come on back and um, open up to chapter 37 of Jeremiah as we seek to, uh, you know, as, as a body here, uh, go through the entire counsel of God, the whole counsel of God. And so we're now in the book of Jeremiah, and we are right before this important, pivotal part of the Bible. In fact, it's so important and it's so pivotal that there are four chapters of the Bible devoted to the fall of Jerusalem. Isn't that interesting? There's Jeremiah 39, there's Jeremiah 52, there's 2 Kings 25, and there's 2 Chronicles 36. Four chapters of the Bible are devoted to the fall of Jerusalem, and so we are right there. But what I would say that this chapter is, uh, it's going to teach us a, a number of things, but one of the things is, is, uh, p- uh, pleasing God versus pleasing man. Uh, who here would say they're a people pleaser? I mean, right? I would say that by nature, that's who I am, but the Lord's really working on me in that regard. And one commentator or pastor, a guy named Francis Schaefer, says this, if one really preaches the word of God to a post-Christian world, he must understand that he's likely to end up like Jeremiah, like Jeremiah. And there's so many New Testament principles that you're going to see here. That for instance, one of them you're going to see, of course, I just alluded to, is, um, is whether you would please man or you'd please God. You'd obey men or you'd obey God. Who do you work for? Who do you want to please? Another one would be when you lose your life, you actually gain life. But when you want to gain life here, you actually lose. And so what I want you to t- pay a particular attention to as we move through Zedekiah are two issues. One, I want you to see the contrast between the king, Zedekiah, and the prophet, Jeremiah. For the, for the uh, you know, for um, uh, image sake, for people looking on, from the outside looking in, at the lives of King Zedekiah versus King Jeremiah or Prophet Jeremiah, you'd say, "Wow, King Zedekiah's got it all. He lives in a palace. He's a king. He's got people that uh, obey him. He's powerful. He's rich. He's got all the things." Jeremiah, we're going to read here, is knee deep in a mud pit, and yet Jeremiah is the richest of all, or of both of them. So there's this contrast here between the king, who, by the way, is the king of the people of God versus this lowly prophet. Then, here's another thing I want you to just stick into the back of your mind. As you're going through the, these two chapters, I want you to remember Pontius Pilate and some of the leaders who had, so to speak, not really, but so to speak, humanly, Jesus in the palm of their hand at the end of his life, what they thought. He didn't really. Jesus had them on trial, but and the wavering back and forth. Is he innocent? Well, if he's innocent, I don't want to, you know, do anything. You're the one. And, and, and I want you to see the, con- or, or, or the commonality between Jesus and what he accomplished at the cross and all those around him and the way that Zedekiah treats Jeremiah. Very fascinating. So let's get into it. Chapter 37, Jeremiah. Now, King Zedekiah, you should know this. King Zedekiah is the last king 
of the southern kingdom. Now we're back. We're back to the last king. We've been jumping around here for a couple chapters, but we are now back to the last king of the southern kingdom of Judah, right before the fall of Jerusalem. So around 588 BC, Babylon comes and they enter into or surround the city and siege it, but they don't really destroy it until 586 BC. So for about 18 months, they sort of just strangle it off. Okay? And that's where we are. King Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, reigned instead of Coniah, the son of Jehoiakim. Now, Jehoiakim and Jehoiachin were the two prior kings. And the one right prior to him, Jehoiachin, just was a matter of months. He didn't work out, of all, work out at all. And I don't know if you remember this, but Zedekiah was installed. You'll see it here. He was whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, made king in the land of Judah. Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon installed Zedekiah. But if you go to other places in the Bible, it shows us that Zedekiah, after he was put in power by Babylon, went down to Egypt and said, hey, I need to make a truce with you guys so we can sort of combat Babylon and maybe get them off our case. And in Ezekiel, it tells us that that's one of the reasons Nebuchadnezzar was down there to attack them, okay? So you have that going on. So here he is, and he is the king of Babylon, and he made, uh, made uh, Zedekiah king in the land of Judah. Watch this, and this is the important part. Remember, now, King Zedekiah is the king of the people of God, but watch this. But neither he nor his servants nor the people of the land gave heed to the words of the Lord, which he spoke by the prophet Jeremiah. Are you catching that? He didn't listen to the word of God. That's the person who's leading the nation, doesn't listen to the prophet. Now, you sort of, maybe I shouldn't say it this way, feel for him a little bit because all of the other false prophets, remember, from uh, chapters past, were saying, no, 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 Jeremiah's wrong. There's going to be peace. There's going to be peace. And Jeremiah kept saying, no, 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 there's not going to be peace. God's going to use Babylon to come and uh, administer justice and judgment on us for all the things that we've been doing. And Jeremiah's instruction by the word of the Lord was that don't resist that chastening, Actually, lean into it and move and go there and establish homes and build things and be involved there. That's what I want you to do, the Lord said through Jeremiah to the people. But they didn't want to do that. They'd have to leave and go all that way and uproot their families. And so you had all these false prophets. And of course, think about Zedekiah, what he's thinking. Oh my gosh, I'm going to be a failure. The people of God are going to be swiped from underneath me and taken out of here? No way. Jeremiah, that can't be. So he didn't give heed to the words of the Lord. And that's a real lesson for us. What happens when we come across things in the word of God that are hard to hear? You ever had one? Maybe you've read a scripture 10 times before, but the 11th time, you're in a season of your life, and God's word, which never changes, hits you in a way that it sort of does some surgery. You know what I mean? And here, that's what's happening to the people of God, and that's really where you're at a crossroads. Are you going to just listen to the word of God when it's convenient and comfortable, or is the word of God going to impact you even when it's difficult? 
And so here, it says, he doesn't give heed to the words of the Lord. One of the ways in which we raise really sickly, weak Christians is when we come in with our notebooks. I'm glad you have a notebook. I have one. And we just write everything down, and we come to the Wednesday Bible study and the Thursday Bible study and the Monday Bible study, and then we go out those doors and don't live it out. We're just weak, you know, back and forth. The culture impacts us. This impacts us. That impacts us. And you're going to see that here in Zedekiah, who didn't listen to the word of the Lord. But watch this. In Zedekiah, verse 3, the king sent Jehukal, the son of Shelemiah, and Zephaniah, the son of Meshajah, the priest, to the prophet Jeremiah, saying, Pray now to the Lord our God for us. Now Jeremiah was coming and going among the people, for they had not yet put him in prison. Here's what Zedekiah, this king, think about this. He, sorts of, he sort of like flirts with Christianity and, and, and God, you know what I mean, the, the spiritual stuff. He says, well, you know, I'm not really paying attention to the word of God, but lucky rabbit's foot, I really don't want the Babylonians to do this attack. So could you, you know, send my servants over there and have Jeremiah come pray for us? You ever had people do that? Would you pray for us? You know, they're just flirting in and out of Christianity. And so I think that teaches us a couple lessons. Man, I really think the key to strong, dynamic, vital relationship with the Lord, a, 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 a relationship of grace and love and responding between you and the Lord is your morning devotion. I really believe it. I think it's true. Just maybe it's not even morning, maybe it's evening, or maybe it's at lunch, but whatever. Morning seems to be the thing to do, uh, because if the first lump, Romans tells us, is holy, the whole thing's holy, but whatever. I mean, the dynamic of just receiving from the Lord and sitting with the Lord and pouring out your heart to the Lord, and all of that is, is prayer. And here, you know, you can be in a great position financially or on the throne of a company or, or whatever, and you still can be the sort of flip-floppy because we don't take heed to the word of the Lord. We might even listen to it, but we don't take heed and we don't do it. And then the other thing is we sort of just, you know, use prayer as a lucky rabbit's foot instead of that dynamic, vital relationship between you and the Lord. You see it here? You're going to see it poured out in Zedekiah's life. All the weakness and all the lukewarmness. I know, I'm making up words tonight, but you get what I'm saying. And Zedekiah, he sends these people over and says, pray now. He flirts with these things. He flirts with these things. In fact, turn over to Mark chapter 6. Go over there real quick. Just Mark chapter 6, verse 20. There was a guy named Herod, and he was dealing with John the Baptist. Uh... Uh, he flirted with sort of God. Do you remember this? Therefore, Herodias, verse 19, held it against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not. For Herod, look at this, feared John, knowing that it was a just and holy man and protected him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. And Herod sort of heard him, you know, flirted with that. But then, you know the story, John the Baptist ends up with his head on a platter. So, there's this flirting. How about in Acts 24? Go over there. 
Go over there, Acts 24. You'll see it again in the Bible. These themes run throughout Acts 24. And then get into verse 24. I just want to show you this. Verse 24, and after some days, there's this guy named Felix. Remember him? When Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Now watch the flirtation with Christianity. Now as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, go away for now. When I have convenient time, I will call for you. Doesn't that sound like people who flirt with Christian things? Well, it's not convenient to come on a Wednesday night. It's not convenient to go out on a Saturday and to minister. That's not convenient. It's not convenient. Well, right, because we're not, you know, God's not made for us. We're made to respond to God. So therefore, he sent for him more often and conversed with him. But after two years, then Festus succeeded Felix. And Felix, wanting to do the Jews a favor, left Paul bound. He just sort of, you know flirted with it, but didn't engage. Pontius Pilate, in a way, remember? And, and so those are some things. Pray now. It's flirting with Christianity. And don't you not want to flirt with this? I mean, do you really want to flirt? Or do you really want to just sort of dabble in godly things? Or do you want to just give your whole life back to the Lord and worship? And so uh, here we see the results of that. Then the word, look, watch this, or excuse me, then Pharaoh, verse 5, Pharaoh's army came up from Egypt, and when the Chaldeans, that's the Babylonians, who were besieging Jerusalem, heard news of them, they departed from Jerusalem. Now get the scene. Jeremiah has been preaching. The Babylonians are going to come, and they're going to over, uh, you know, overthrow your city, and it's judgment, and I want you to lean in on it. And here it seems to be coming to pass. And you know, here, here uh, uh, the king says, come pray for us. And you know, he's whatever. And then all of a sudden, Egypt starts to rattle, and the Babylonians go and go away from Jerusalem and meet the Egyptians. So guess what, King Zedekiah and all his cabinet are saying, and all the false prophets, guess what they would be saying? See, we were right. God would never do this to us. It's sort of like the church on many fronts. There are many churches who will not tell you about sin or hell or judgment or justice or the wrath of God, and yet all of that is very real and true, but people want to avoid that because it's not comfortable or convenient. And so when things sort of go here or go there, see, see what I mean? And yet, we know that this was just for a time. Jeremiah was right. And so that leads me to something. You ever had a situation in your life? You know through the Word of God, by the Holy Spirit of God, God's told you something. You know it. I mean, it's in the Word. It's there, and you're judging it by the Word, and you know it. And then you're sort of traveling in life, and these circumstances happen that seem to be like God's not doing it. And what happens to us sometimes? We get bitter and angry or sad or mad or whatever it is we get with the Lord when all along the Lord is going to deliver on his word. Isn't that fascinating? Because watch what happens. They're besieging him. Then the word of the Lord came to the prophet Jeremiah. You know, 
When Zedekiah right here, when he heard that the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah again, he must have been jumping up and down. Oh, God must have changed his mind, or God must have been mistaken, or, or Jeremiah must have heard wrong. But the word of the Lord in verse 6 comes to the prophet Jeremiah saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Thus you shall say, alliteration there, but anyway, I sounded like Daffy Duck for a minute. You shall say to the king of Judah, who, who sent you to me to inquire of me? Behold, Pharaoh's army, which has come up to help you, will return to Egypt to their own land, and the Chaldeans shall come back. Can you imagine Zedekiah hearing that? The false prophets hearing that? They must have been angry. Sad, mad. And the Chaldeans will come back, verse 8, and fight against this city and take it and burn it with fire. Ooh, wait a minute. I thought we were getting a reprieve here. Thus says the Lord, do not deceive yourselves, saying, the Chaldeans will surely depart from us, for they will not depart. For though you had defeated the whole army of the Chaldeans who fight against you, and there remained only wounded men among them, they would rise up, every man in his tent, and burn the city with fire. Now think, there must have been, come on, folks, Jeremiah had to have been human. And when he saw that army go and meet Egypt, and there would be a little bit of a reprieve, was there just for a fleeting second, man, did I miss that? And yet here comes the word of the Lord to him again with hard, difficult things to say to not only the king but to the people of God. You see, sometimes, oftentimes, here the Bible tells us that we're to speak truthful things lovingly and loving things truthfully. And that if you just have friends that are always going to flatter you and that sort of thing, you don't really have friends. We want people who sharpen each other, not in some way where we're bludgeoning one, one another to death, but people who tell the truth. And here, it was, must have been difficult for Jeremiah to once again go right back to the king and say, no, you got this wrong. They're coming back and your city is going to burn. Well, watch what happens in verse 11. And it happened then, it happened when the army of the Chaldeans, this is a fascinating little story, left the siege of Jerusalem for fear of Pharaoh's army, that Jeremiah went out of Jerusalem to go into the land of Benjamin to claim his property. Xander, a couple weeks ago, preached on him buying title deed to some land. That was in Jeremiah 32. He must have thought, wow, since they've left, I have a little time to run up to see my plot of land that's been, I've bought. That must be what he's doing. And he goes up and into the land of Benjamin, another tribe's area, to claim his property there among the people. And when he was in the gate of Benjamin, isn't this fascinating? There was a checkpoint. And there, because... You know, who knows who's coming in and out of the different tribal lands because you got enemies everywhere. And there's a checkpoint, and a captain of the guard was there whose name was Erijah, the son of Shelemiah, the son of Hananiah, and he sees Jeremiah the prophet saying, hey, you're defecting to the Chaldeans. Now, think about it. He's the one that's been saying, in a sense, hey, people of Jerusalem, you need to defect to the Chaldeans. He didn't say defect, but he said, you just, 
ease in or uh, uh, lean into the chastening and go with them. And so he must have been a famous guy. Probably they had, you know, his passport on file there at the checkpoint. They were looking for him, and he gets there, and they says, you're defecting. And Jeremiah says, verse 14, false. I'm not defecting to the Chaldeans, but he didn't listen to him. He just didn't listen. So Irajah seized Jeremiah and brought him to the princes, the, the, the cabinet people, the nobles of Judah. Therefore, the princes were angry with Jeremiah, and they, watch this, sound familiar? And they struck him. I mean, they beat him up, man. Jeremiah gets beat up right here. And they put him in prison in the house of Jonathan, a person on the cabinet, the scribe, for they had made that the prison. Now, he had been in prison before. Some people believe this is the same prison term. Other people believe it's a different prison term. But he was over in prison over in chapter 32 in the king of Judah's house. Other people believe this is a different time, but watch this. He goes into prison, and when Jeremiah, after he'd been beaten up, by the way, and when Jeremiah entered the dungeon and the cells, and Jeremiah had remained there, how many days? Many days. They're trying to break his spirit, trying to discourage him, dissuade him. Then Zedekiah the king sent and took him out. And the king asked him secretly in his house, why do you think he acted, asked secretly? He's the king. He's fearful, I think, of the people, his cabinet members, his people that he rules over, or the higher-ups will think poorly of him because he's now sort of listening to Jeremiah, the enemy of the state. You get it? He's fearing people instead of God. So he calls in secret, and he goes in his house, and they said, and he says, is there any word from the Lord? I, I want you to see. I mean, he recognizes that this is a godly man, and he hopes upon hope and wishes upon wish and prays upon prayer, but I don't know that he's praying that Jeremiah would change his mind, change his word, change his message, change his sermon, right? That's what he wants, and Jeremiah said, there is word from the Lord. Then he said, you shall be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon. I, I, I want you to see this, something fascinating, something that's very convicting to me. The same word he spoke in public, he speaks in secret. The same word that he speaks among a lot of people, he speaks at home with just one-on-one. -on -one. You get it? And some people have said, Spurgeon, I just read a quote today. I almost fell off my chair, and I'll, I, I don't have the quote with me, but it was something like this. Uh, if you really want to see what a Christian's like, watch them at home where they oftentimes act like devils. Something like that. He, I'm butchering it a little bit, but I went, oh, okay. Hmm. Convicting man. Here, the same exact word spoken with pomp and circumstance, is spoken in secret. No, he says just very clearly, you shall be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon. It could have been very easy for Jeremiah right there to fudge. Don't you agree? Here he is, poor guy, prophet, with the king. 
The king has the power to just take you, boom, lop off his head, right? Put him in prison, do whatever, take him out of prison. Moreover, it says, verse 18, Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, or said to King Zedekiah, what offense have I committed against you, against your servants, or against this people that you have put me in prison? This is one uncompromising dude. He's basically saying he's innocent. Who else was innocent? So, verse 19, where now are your prophets who prophesied to you, saying the king of Babylon will not come against you or against this land? Where are the false prophets, he says? Therefore, verse 20, please hear now, O my lord the king, please let my petition be accepted before you, and do not make me return to the house of Jonathan the scribe, lest I die there. That's really fascinating to me. Here, there, and excuse me, there in the uh, persecution, he prayed or asked for he wasn't praying to the king, but you know, I mean, he, he, the plea was, make it better. <laughs> I don't want to live in the dungy circumstances. I, could you make it a little better for me? I don't want to die there. Well, watch this. These are bad conditions. Then Zedekiah the king commanded that they should commit Jeremiah to the court of the prison. In other words, he was saved from death because it apparently he was there many days. And if you study the words there for the different places that he was placed, the first one is much more uh, uh, unsanitary and uh, leads to sickness and death. But when they put him in the court of the prison, that's more of a, you know, a, a cleanly place, although it wouldn't be clean, but a place where he could at least survive. So the king commanded that they should commit Jeremiah to the court of the prison and that they should give him daily a piece of bread. Is this fascinating? From the Baker's Street until all the bread in the city was gone, which shows you what it was like there during the siege. It must have been really bad. Thus, Jeremiah remained in the court of the prison. Now look, This is beautiful. I mean, he's at least getting food. He's in a better place. Fascinating that the Lord didn't deliver him out of uh, all of the terrible circumstances. But certainly you can see that the Lord is with him in the circumstances. And you say, well, there's plenty of people who've been martyred. Yeah, but Jesus Christ died and rose again as a first fruit. So now that we become people who rise too. Not only do we rise to new life, but we actually have a glorified, resurrected body in heaven. Here, the Lord brings him through, and you know this. It's such a beautiful picture. How are you going to survive in the difficult times of life? Well, turn over to Matthew 6, verse 11. You know the scripture, but I'm going to show it to you anyway. Right there, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been asked to tell them how to pray or to teach them how to pray. And he says, and for, uh, give us this day our daily bread. Of course, we need our daily physical bread. But in John 6, 33 through 35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. If you come to me, you know, you're never going to hunger. And so what does that tell us? that we need to partake of Jesus every single day. 
a real taking in of who he is and what he is and the resources he has for you and the life that he gives. Because, folks, when you go out that door, and sometimes when you sit in here, it's really difficult, dark and dungy sometimes. You're in the middle of really hurtful circumstances or really you, you have things that are going on that are really tough and stressful. Jesus says, or excuse me, here in Jeremiah, we know that Jesus is the bread of life. But here, this daily bread was given, and bread was scarce. Man, I want to be like that. I want to be that person who, you know, just thinks of, of course, we need the physical bread. But, man, there's nothing else that will ever give me life than the word of God with God, just the presence of God in the mornings, in the afternoons, in the evenings, just responding to everything that he is. That's life-giving, man. So that's where he goes. Now, in 38, Sheptai, the son of Matan, Gedaliah, the son of Pasher, Jukal, son of Shalami, and Pasher, the son of Malchiah, I'm not doing these right, but anyway, heard the words that Jeremiah had spoken to all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, He who remains in this city shall die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. But he who goes over to the Chaldeans, think about this. Can you imagine this? I mean, this is just a radical thing. This had to have been from the Lord, because he says, He who goes over to the Chaldeans shall live. His life shall be a prize to him, and he shall live. Thus says the Lord, this city shall surely be given into the hand of the king of Babylon's army, which shall take it. Therefore, the princes said to the king, look how weak the king is. The princes dictate to the king here. He's a man pleaser. What a terrible way to live life, to please man all the time. Of course, as much as it's up to us, we live in peace with all men, and yet sometimes... A lot of times, we're swimming upstream in this life. We're going against the current. And it's no good if we go against the current just a little, but then, you know, vacillate this in front of these people or that person. Here, the princes say to the king, Well, let this man be put to death, for thus he weakens the hands of the men of war who remain in the city. Apparently, some of the people either had already left or been killed, because he says, only those who remain... And hands of all the people by speaking such words to them. For this man does not seek the welfare of this people, but their harm. And this is, the, this is like the verse that burns a hole in my heart. And here's why. There's nothing that could be further from the truth. Jeremiah wanted what was best for the people of God here. And yet... The Lord had spoken to him, and, and he couldn't deviate from that message. Do you get that? There's no way. If he deviated from the message, he wouldn't be a prophet. He would be something else, a hireling or, uh, you know, one who would vacillate. I mean, it's, he doesn't seek the welfare of the people Zedekiah does, but Jeremiah does, and it's ironic here. Remember some other people in the Bible who were falsely accused? For instance... Do you know in Numbers 12, God says of Moses, he was the most humble man ever? And yet, later on in Numbers 16, he was accused of exalting himself. Numbers 16.3. How about this? The first line of the book of Job calls him a righteous man. 
He gets his buddies around, and for several, several chapters, they accuse him of great sin. Nothing could be further from the truth. Of course, Jesus, the Lamb of God, spotless Son of God, he was accused of being a drunkard and, a, and possessed by a demon. You get it? Sometimes the world, because of the righteousness that lives in and through us, is going to see us and hate us. In fact, in John 15, very famous, Jesus says to disciples, I'll read it to you once I get there, right over there in John 15, oh, shoot, he says this, it's very famous to you, but if the world hates you, verse 18 of John 15, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. If you just would swim with the current, no problem. No one's going to say anything. You can even mention God a lot and spiritual stuff, but boy, you bring up Jesus' name. Watch out. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. See, I want you to catch that. The mark of somebody who stands up, even when it's costly, is one who's known and knows the Lord, not just somebody who flits in and out of the service and sort of knows the Bible, but it's that, you know, that person, us, you know, who, who, who thoroughly know they are known by the Lord and just respond back. And so when they get into circumstances that are tough or difficult, they can't bend on certain things. Yes, blessed are the flexible. We do, uh, uh, love covers a multitude of sins. Of course it does. If you sit in the pew where I sit, I don't care. If you eat my donuts, I don't care. Go, go ahead. But there's certain things as we're walking through life we just can't do. We, can, we can't be in the cocktail party and they're talking about the dirty jokes and the girls and the pornography and we can't clap and you know go along with it. We just can't. Or whatever. Or, you know, just say GD in our speech. There's just no way we could say that. It would grieve us. There's no way. We can't. Come on, why don't you cuss? Just participate. No, we can't do that. We're followers of Christ. Well, why don't you, uh, you, you know, uh, pray to this saint or pray to. We can't. There's only one mediator, but there's no way we could do that. Why can't you participate in a service where they do that? Just, you just can't. We love the Lord. He's our captain of our salvation. We want to follow him and him alone. There's just certain things we can't do. And for the people uh, who know, or excuse me, know that they're known by the Lord and know him in a way that's friends, but more than friends. He's the captain, I get it, but, but he also is our friend, and he, he loves at all time, and we're just intimate in that back and forth discourse with him in a relationship with him. We're people then who could stand on these things. And here you see it all over the place. This guy, Zedekiah, he's not that. He's just one who wants the lucky rabbit's foot of Christianity. And he says, they even uh, come against uh, uh, Jeremiah and say, this man doesn't seek the welfare of this people, but their harm. You see, that could really sting somebody who was a man pleaser. Do you understand that? 
That could really sting somebody if you were a man pleaser. But if you know God and you're committed to God, but the reason you're committed to God, by the way, is because he's committed to you. Not because you're any great shakes, but because he is. Then you can stand. And you can let the people say that. And it can still be. I I can't deviate from the message. It's always going to be right is right according to the Lord. Everybody, you see that? So then Zedekiah there in verse 5, the king said, look, he is in your hand, for the king could do nothing against you. So they took Jeremiah and cast him into the dungeon of Malchiah, the king's son, which was in the court of the prison. And they let Jeremiah down with ropes. Now this, most people think, was a water cistern with a really, watch this, it'd be really scary, with a really narrow uh, top, and then it sort of opened up like a bottle. And the reason it was built like that was to catch rainwater in Judah. That's what they think this one is. And because it was to catch rainwater, watch this, and in the dungeon there was no water but mire or mud. So here you got this Jeremiah is knee deep or higher, waist deep in the mud. Cold and dark and lonely and no hope. And then out of the blue. (laughs) Wow, what a message. Verse 7, Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian. Here's this guy who's not even from the right lineage. He's not Jewish. He's African. So beautiful. God uses all of us, doesn't he? We don't have to look this way or look that way or be on this side of the track. No, here, out of the blue, Ebed-Melech, which just means servant of the king, so they don't know if this was really his name or his title. Anyway, he's an Ethiopian and one of the eunuchs. If you're a eunuch, by the way, you were excluded from temple worship. That's in Leviticus. Sort of, you know, just an outcast. Just one who, you know, seemingly to people may or may not have mattered so much as the princes did, but out of the blue, here he comes and He was in the king's house, and he heard that they had put Jeremiah in the dungeon. And when the king was sitting at the gate of Benjamin, Ebed-Melech went out of the king's house. I want you to catch how daring this would be, how bold this would be. And that's one mark of a spirit-filled, born-again Christian. It's because the Holy Spirit of God comes into your life. What happens? Us who are weak and feeble and not very courageous become bold in our sharing of love and forgiveness and the gospel of Jesus and standing up for things that are right. And here he comes out of the house, which he probably shouldn't have done, and he went into the gate of Benjamin and he, went out, uh, and he spoke to the king. I mean, come on, folks. That's bold. And he spoke to the king, saying, My lord, the king, these men have done evil in all that they have done to Jeremiah the prophet. He's saying that the cabinet members did wrong. And your decision, although he may or may not known it was the decision of the king, your decision to allow them to do that was wrong. Whew. That's bold. So he does it, and they says, my Lord, these men have done evil in all that they have done to Jeremiah, whom they've cast into this dungeon, and he's likely to die from hunger in the place where he is, for there's no more bread in the city. And then the king commanded Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, saying, watch, now he's flipped again. It's like the last person who gets to talk to the king gets what they want. It's sort of like Pontius Pilate. So, 
they commanded Ebed-Melech, the eighth Reuben, take here 30 men with you and lift Jeremiah the prophet out of the dungeon before he dies. So Ebed-Melech took the men with him, went into the house of the king under the treasury, took from there old clothes, old rags, let them down by ropes into the dungeon to Jeremiah. And then Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, said to Jeremiah, please put these old clothes and rags under your armpits. I mean, so kind, right? He thought about this. Who would have thought this? Uh, and Jeremiah did so. And they, or so they pulled Jeremiah up with ropes and lifted him out of the dungeon. And Jeremiah remained in the court of the prison. Don't, don't miss the last verse. So he got out of the dungeon or the cistern, the bottleneck thing. But he's still in prison, folks. <laughs> And God, we know this, go to Isaiah 42, you know God walks through the fire with you, he walks through the waters with you, and even though it's hot and overwhelming, and it is sometimes, and it is, man, that's where the Lord is with you, and he'll walk you right through there, and here he knows that. In fact, in Psalm 40, doesn't it say there that's where he lifts you up out of the miry clay and sets your feet upon the rock? See, the one who is a Christian, their feet is going to be set on the rock. How are we going to be doing it? By faith. We have uh, this life that we, it's guaranteed to us, not the life of circumstances. Those all can go up and down and be bad and be good. But we have a life that's guaranteed to us, listen, of rescue. It's guaranteed. And it's 1 Corinthians. It's 1 Corinthians 15. The worst thing that man could ever do to us, death, is swallowed up in Christ. You know, Christ swallowed it up and, and he, 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 he made it a way so that now we can come and live forever with him in real bodies with people we know. We're not going to know less in heaven than we do here. We'll know the people in heaven. So he's given us a way of rescue, and it's by faith. It's his grace, and we just tap into it. We just, oh, Lord, we believe, and we trust, and we give our whole lives to you. We respond to everything that you are, Lord, and now we have all this thing. We've been pulled out of the miry clay, and he set our feet upon a rock, and he's the rock. And then you go on, and it says in verse 14, Zedekiah, the king, sent and had Jeremiah the prophet brought to him at the third entrance of the house of the Lord. And the king said to Jeremiah, I'm going to ask you something. Hide nothing from me. It's like, listen, folks, it's chapter 37 over again. Some people believe this is the same time. I think it's two different times. I think Zedekiah just couldn't believe it enough. <laughs> or he wanted to just keep changing his mind. Here he says, well, I need to ask you something and hide nothing from me. And then in verse 15, Jeremiah says to Zedekiah, if I declare it to you, will you not merely or will you not surely put me to death? And if I give you advice, you will not listen to me. So Zedekiah the king swore secretly to Jeremiah saying, as the Lord lives who made our very souls, I will not put you to death, nor I'll give you into the hand of these men who seek your life. Again, Jeremiah got what he wanted from the king. I'm glad he did, but you get the point. Whoever talks to him last gets what they want. Then Jeremiah, verse 17, says to Zedekiah, Thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel. You know, Zedekiah must have been like, I know he's going to change now. I mean, come on, I just made a good deal with him. 
There's no Egyptians, or, or you know, the Egyptians have taken them away a little bit. It's got to change. And here it comes. Jeremiah says to him, Thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, If you surely surrender to the king of Babylon's princes, then your soul shall live. This city, well, I can't say this, shall not be burned with fire, and you and your house shall live. Are you catching that? There was grace, there was mercy, if he would only repent. I mean really repent, not just say I'm sorry, just repent, turn and walk in the ways of the Lord and devote his life there. If he would really repent, if he, some have said, turn and not burn, like when you're sunbathing, but then the city wouldn't be burned with fire, and you and your house shall live. But if you do not surrender to the king of Babylon's princes, then this city, oh my goodness, shall be given into the hand of the Chaldeans. They shall burn it with fire, and you shall not escape from their hand. And Zedekiah the king said to Jeremiah, Well, I'm afraid of the Jews who have defected to the Chaldeans, lest they deliver me into their hand and they abuse me. You see, watch this. When people fear men more than they fear God. And then when they're flirting with godly things or spiritual things, don't you know people like this? By the way, I can be like this sometimes. Watch this. They make every excuse not to follow the Lord. Oh my gosh, the Jews, oh, they might defect. You know, they've defected. They might, they might, you know, get wind that I'm starting to, you know, get in line with you guys. And if I get in line with you, they probably will beat me up or kill me or something. So I'm not going to do it. People are like that. We make all the excuses about why we can't follow the Lord. And Jeremiah said, they won't deliver you, or they shall not deliver you. Please obey the voice of the Lord, which I speak to you, so, so it shall be well with you, and your soul shall live. I want you to see something. Kate and I were just talking about this on the way down here today. I want you to see the shepherd's heart of, of Jeremiah. He's not glorying in the fact that his enemies are going to uh, be really, really knocked out. You catch that? His heart is not for revenge or retaliation or vengeance. His heart is for the people to turn. And that can be really difficult for us as Christians, right? There are people who come against you. They might even say some things against you. They might even say like Moses or Jeremiah, things that are untrue about you. And your heart then is to do what? Mm, boy, am I going to get them. And here we see Jeremiah's heart wasn't impacted that way. Jeremiah's heart was, oh, if you just still would turn, then things would be good. But if you refuse to surrender, 21, this is the word that the Lord has shown me, 22. Now behold, all the women who are left in the king of Judah's house shall be surrendered to the king of Babylon's princes... And those women shall say, your close friends have set upon you and prevailed against you. Your feet have sunk in the mire and they have turned away again. As one pastor has said, destruction is always the consequence of disobedience. It's always the consequence of disobedience. 23, so they shall surrender all your wives and children to the Chaldeans. You shall not escape from their hand but shall be taken by the hand of the king of Babylon, and you shall cause this city to be burned with fire. By the way, you shall cause this city to be burned. Then Zedekiah said to 
Jeremiah, this is interesting. Let's get this right, or try to get it right. <laughs> Let no one know of these words, and you shall not die. But if the princes hear that I have talked with you, and they come to you and say to you, declare to us now that you, what you have said to the king, and also what the king said to you, do not hide it from us, and we will not put you to death. In other words, I don't want others to know what you just told me. Don't tell others what you just told me. Well, in 26, then you shall say to them, I presented my request before the king that he would not make me return to Jonathan's house to die there. Then all the princes did, in fact, come to Jeremiah, asked him, and he told them according to all these words that the king had commanded, so then stopped speaking with him for the conversation had not been heard. It seems that Jeremiah, and there's a lot of debate here whether he uh, sort of caved there a little bit or compromised a little bit, or simply that he told them what they needed to know without having to tell them uh, again, because they'd heard previously, this um, message of judgment. You be a good Berean and study that. Well, in verse 28, now Jeremiah remained in the court of the prison until the day that Jerusalem was taken, and he was there when Jerusalem, or yes, and he was there when Jerusalem was taken. And then the ninth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, all his army came against Jerusalem and besieged it. Now, I want you to go to Lamentations. You know what's funny? It's when sometimes, man... Lamentations is hard to find, but it's not hard to find tonight. You know why it's not hard to find tonight? Because it's right behind Jeremiah. So go to Lamentations. I want you to see the conditions of the city. Look in chapter 4, verse 4 and 5 of Lamentations. Isn't this great? Who would think we would be studying in 2021, in December, in West Elizabeth, PA, the book of Lamentations. Well, we're doing it, so praise the Lord. So look at Lamentations verse or chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. The tongue of the infant clings to the roof of its mouth because it was thirsty. The young children ask for bread, but no one breaks it for them. Those who ate delicacies are desolate in the streets, and those who were brought up in scarlet embrace ash heaps. It was pretty bad. And if you go over, uh, you, you know, down here into... Verse 9, those slain by the sword are better off, oh my, than those who die of hunger. For these pine away, stricken for the lack of the fruits of the field. In the hands of the compassionate women have cooked their own children. They became food for them in the destruction of the daughter of my people. And look over verse 17. Still your eye, our eyes failed us, watching vainly for our help. In our watching, we watched for a nation that could not save us. They tracked our steps so that we could not walk in our streets. Our end was near. Our days were over, for our end had come. Tough times there as uh, uh, Babylon now invades and takes over. And they did this in the 11th year of Zedekiah, verse 2 in the fourth month, on the ninth day, and then all the princes of the king of Babylon came in and sat in the middle gate, near Galsherazer, Samgar, Nebo, etc., etc., Rabmag, which means, by the way, chief of Magi. That's interesting. With the rest of the princes of the king of Babylon, 
Verse 4, so it was when Zedekiah, the king of Judah, and all the men of war saw them that they fled and went out of the city by night by way of the king's garden. That's down by the pool of Siloam uh, in the city of David outside of, um, anyway, you're going to go there. Uh, You're going to go right there if you go to Jerusalem with us by the gate between the two walls. And he went out by the way of the plain, but the Chaldean army pursued them and overtook Zedekiah in the plains of uh, Jericho. And when they, watch this. And when they had captured him, they brought him up to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, to Riblah in the land of Hamath, that's about 200 miles away, where he pronounced judgment on him. Then the king of Babylon killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. Do you remember just right over there in 38, 23, it says, so they shall surrender all your wives and children to the Chaldeans. You're not going to escape from their hand, but shall be taken by the hand of the king of Babylon And you shall cause the city to be burned by fire. But watch this. They killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes in Riblah. The king of Babylon also killed all the nobles of Judah. And moreover, he put out Zedekiah's eyes so that the last image that Zedekiah had in this life was that of his sons and nobles dying. What's fascinating about that, in Ezekiel 12, 13, write that down. You'll have time to go there later. Write that down. It's really fascinating. There's a prophecy about Zedekiah that he would go to Babylon but not see it. And there it is. That's why. Isn't that that amazing? People couldn't figure that out. He'd go to Babylon or be pulled out and go into exile but couldn't see it and bound him with bronze fetters to carry him off to Babylon. And the Chaldeans burned the king's house and the houses of the people of fire and broke down the walls of Jerusalem. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, carried away captain to Babylon, the remnant of the people who remained in the city and those who defected with him, with the rest of the people who remained. But Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, left in the land of Judah the poor people who had nothing and gave them vineyards and fields. Now, Nebi, king of Babylon, gave charge concerning Jeremiah to this guy, the captain of the guard, saying, take him and look after him and do him no harm. <laughs> Jeremiah saved or spared, but do to him just as he says to you. So this guard sent Nebishan, Rabsaris, these people, and all the king of Babylon's chief officers. Then they went sent someone to take Jeremiah from the court of the prison, committed him to Gedaliah, that he should take him home so he dwelt among the people. And in verse 15, meanwhile, the word of the Lord had come to Jeremiah while he was shut up in the court of the prison, saying, go and speak to Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, say, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I'll bring my words upon this city for adversity and not for good, and they shall be performed in that day before you. But I'll deliver in you that day, says the Lord, and you shall not be given into the hand of men of whom you are afraid. For I will deliver you, and you shall not fall by the sword, but your life shall be as a prize to you, because you have put your trust in me, says the Lord. (sighs) I went fast, but listen, it was important, and here's why. For those who put their trust in the Lord... You know the end. Whatever happens now, he's with you the whole way. Even when it seems he's not. Even when people are saying things about you that are untrue. Even when the circumstances of your life going uh, down. Even when 
All the enemies have come against you, and you think there's no way. Listen, you're going to be rescued, and here's how I know. Because you've placed your faith or trust in Jesus Christ. And now he's come into your life, the spirit of Christ, and that's a down payment of guarantee of you for eternal life in heaven with God forever. That's it. You're going to be rescued. Just like this one, Jeremiah, the one who had to say the hard things. And just like, it doesn't matter if you're an outcast or an alien, one who doesn't belong, you weren't of the people of God, but now by Christ you've come into the family of God, just like this Ebed fella who God lifted up at the end. Wow. I mean, what good news. We have the best news. The greatest news. To live with God for all all time, for eternity. To be able to commune with him here and to receive resource and strength to get us in and through uh, (laughs) the ups and downs of life knowing that we're going to be with him forever. And while we're here to just keep sharing with people and being that messenger who boldly would go in front of kings or queens or cabinet members sharing the gospel so that more people would come out of the pit, be lifted out of the miry clay and have their feet set upon the rock. Wow. What a privilege. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we do. We... who come here this evening just as humble servants, Lord, knowing what sinners we've been, reflecting upon your grace and resource that you've sent to us, your son Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you've called us and we've responded to that call. And now, instead of just living life for white picket fences and vacations and Building our kingdom, Lord, we are servants of you, and your kingdom needs to be built and will be built. Lord, what a tremendous privilege and an honor it is to serve you. Help us, Lord, focus our lives to one that's being lived for you and not for earthly pleasures. Lord, help us to be discerners of the word so that we're not put off track by false prophets or false teachings, but that we would be committed to your word even when it's hard and difficult. Help us there. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.